Morning all. <clears throat> so today's reading is from uh, Romans uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 8. So that's uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the children's pastor at Soul Revival Church. If I haven't met you, I'd love to say good day over our morning tea later on. Um, about 21 years ago, I was at university at Wollongong, and there was a Christian group there, the Evangelical Christian Union, read, led by a guy called Richard Chin. Uh, excellent preacher, really lovely guy. And they would have regular meetings on Wednesdays and Thursday lunchtimes for those who wanted to gather and hear a uh, sermon and then go and have lunch together. Now, I was an art student, and the thing about art students is we don't have a very big timetable. So I often wasn't there for any of those um, because a lot of my degree was just, you know, reading Plato under a tree. Um, but uh, sometimes I did get to one of those, and occasionally I'd get to both of them, both the Wednesday and the Thursday. Now, the thing about Richard was he'd only prepare one talk, and he would prepare it, he'd speak it on the Wednesday and the Thursday, which meant if you got on the Thursday, you got to hear the same talk again, uh, and there was a great sense of deja vu because he really wouldn't change much of the script, of the little quips, the intonation of his language all the way through. Um, so you had this sense of deja vu. Why am I telling you this? Well, you might have noticed our Bible reading was not 1 Samuel, which is the series that we are currently in as a church together. And if you're a regular member of Soul Revival and astute observer, you might have been wondering what's going on. Well, to last week, last week on Saturday, we had our church planning day. Uh, and I spoke on this passage here, Romans 12, 1 to 8, and talked about how this gives us a theological foundation to what and why we do church the way we do. If you were there at our planning day, or if, like Sam, you were here last night, uh, you might have the same kind of sense of deja vu that I had with Richard Chin, in that I haven't really changed the script much at all. So I hope that that is encouraging to you. For many of us who weren't there on that day and weren't there last night, 
Um, what I'm hoping is that those of us who are regular members of Soul Revival Church, this will give you a really deep understanding of the why and the how we do church the way we do church. And if you're visiting with us today or you're watching with us online, I uh, hope this again sort of piques your interest to the way that we do church here and it gives you an understanding of the Jesus that you might be checking out uh, and the church that you might be interested in checking out as well. Uh, so let's get into Romans 12 and uh, the text for today. Uh, every organisation, whether it's a, a school or a business, a non-profit organisation or a church, need three different things. The first thing that every organisation needs is a why. Every organisation needs to know why it exists in the world. What is it seeking to, what is the purpose, the driving purpose behind why it exists? Uh, there's a business guru called Simon Sinek. Uh, he's written a book called Start With Why, which is all about this context. And he says if an organisation has a clear understanding of why they exist in the world, then they're going to be able to communicate that clearly to themselves and therefore build really good unity in that organisation and be able to communicate it really clearly outward to the, to the world as, as well. Now, in a church's case... Our why is our theology. It's the grounding reason for why we exist. Now, the second thing that every organisation needs is a how. How are you going to put that why into practice? What is the lens through which you do that? Every school has a very similar why. They want to educate young people. But not every school looks the same. You've got Montessori schools, you've got... Uh, public schools, you've got Christian schools, you've got a variety of different types of schools, they'll all express the education of young people in slightly different ways. Why is that the case? Why? There's too many questions here. Because their how <laughs> is different. And our how is the strategy that distinguishes one organisation from another. And so the how, yeah, thanks, Ethan. Uh, the how is our strategy. The last thing every organisation needs is to actually know, okay, so what on the ground? What is our actual practice? What are we actually going to do day by day, week by week, year by year? Uh, and that's your what. So every organisation needs a why, how and a what. And what we're hoping to do this morning is to walk through uh, the soul revival. Why, how and what. Using Romans 12. Because ultimately at a church it's not about what we decide. We want to submit everything we do under the authority of Scripture. And if it's not under the authority of Scripture, we don't want to do it. And so what we want to do is to humbly come before God. We want to read his word and we want to see if what we're seeking to do as a church is what he is seeking to do in the world. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for the love you have given us in Christ Jesus. I pray that this morning you will help us to grow in a deeper understanding of you, of your word, of what you are seeking to do in your world and the small part that we as a church are seeking to partner with you in that. Amen. All right. So uh, our first thing to start with is our why, the theology. Why do we do church? And as a church, we've got a very simple phrase. The very simple phrase is Jesus changes everything. If you read the book of Romans from start to finish, what you see is in the first 11 chapters particularly, Paul has talked a great deal about his theology. He opens the letter by saying that he's an apostle, that is a messenger 
of the gospel of God. This is a message that has started way back in history with the Old Testament, has come to its climax in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and then radiates out of that into the church, which Paul is now a part of. It's a gospel, it's a story, it's a message that tells us that we have all been created and yet we have all fallen short of the created glory that God had in mind for us. That's what the Bible calls sin. Uh, The consequence of that sin is our separation from God and ultimately a permanent separation from God in death. But, Paul says, very important, God has sent his son, Jesus, who by willingly going to the cross, becoming the sacrifice of atonement, he says in chapter 5, taking that penalty that we deserve, gifting us forgiveness, redemption, new life, that we can sort of have this transference takes place. Jesus' faithfulness stands in place of our unfaithfulness. His righteousness, his right standing with God stands in place of our unrighteousness, our wrong standing with God. Paul says that right at the very beginning, the very first humans, Adam, all, he, because Adam sinned, all sin, we're all under this consequence. But because of Jesus' redemption, because of what he did on the cross and how powerful that was, we can all have the offer of free gifts of grace, of forgiveness, of new life. We were dead in sin, we're now alive in Christ. Jesus' life, death and resurrection changes everything. And that's our why. Why do we exist as a church? Because we truly believe that Jesus changes everything. And that is the best news for us. It's the best news for each other. It's the best news for our communities. It's the best news for our world. And because we deeply believe that, we, want to, uh, we have a why. We have a reason for existing as a church. And Paul says our response to this good news, this response is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, not being conformed to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so, again, we want to submit everything that we think of as a church to this why, that Jesus changes everything. We want to be transformed in our thinking by that. We want everything to sit under that authority. And so as we talked about at planning day, as we think about what we're going to do next week, next year, the next eight, ten years, every decision will be seeking to submit to the question, does this help us and the world see that Jesus changes everything? If yes, then it's an idea well worth considering. If, eh, no, not really then it's probably not something that was worth pursuing as a church. It doesn't fit our why. Now, our theology as a church, Jesus Changes Everything, is aligned with nearly every other Anglican church in Sydney, with many other wonderful Anglican, Presbyterian, Congregational, Baptist churches here and around the globe. All over the world, you will find churches who are situated on this why. They deeply believe that Jesus changes everything which is why a lot of what we say at church will sound familiar to a lot of us who have had experience in other churches. Our messages will be the same. Our Bible studies will be reading the same Bible, 
talking about the same things, have the same opinions, have the same outlook, same worldview, so much of what we do will be similar to many, many other churches because we have a very similar why. But we do have our distinctives as a church. In fact, many of us here have found our home at Soul Revival because we felt that things here were just a little bit different. We may not always be able to put our finger on it. We may not always be able to articulate it. But there's a sense when people come here that they go, I've been to churches before and it's something's different here. It's not our theology, but it is to do with our strategy. Uh, For some people, here's what people have talked to me about. For some people, they notice that there are young people everywhere. We've got teenagers over here, we've got babies, we've got kids, and it's not gathered together in one particular place. We don't have one gathering where all the teenagers hang out. We don't have one gathering with all the families and the children hang out. We have children and teenagers spread right across all six gatherings across the weekend and things that we do midweek as well. Some people have noticed that and thought that's a little bit different. For some, it's the layout of our spaces, that our actual footprint here, half of our space is given to an auditorium, half of our space is given to cafe-style tables and chairs. That's a little different. Some people just notice the uh, industrial chic of the factory setting. You know, concrete walls, fairy lights, lots of wood. That's a bit different. It's not like many churches that I've walked into before. For some, it's the long amount of time that we spend with each other. On Saturday night, both at Kirawee and at Ride, you will have people hanging out late into the night and even into the early hours of the morning. On Sundays, here and at Yarrawarra, we'll have people, you know, sometimes it's two o'clock and we're flicking the lights saying, all right, guys, we probably should get home to our families. We spend a lot of time with each other. That's a little bit different. For some, it's the fact that we have meals and that it's the relationships that we have over those meals, the conversations that are there. I've had one bloke at church who's been a Christian uh, most of his life, been a committed member of churches most of his life. And he said it was only, become, it was only coming to soul revival that he felt that he had friends at church. I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Something was different about the way that we did church together. Why is it? Why is it that if we have the same theology as many, many other churches who we are very good friends with, that we look a little bit different? Well, it all comes down to this strategy piece, how we do church. Every church has a how. They might not always articulate it, but there's always a how. A really common strategy amongst suburban churches in the Western world is to gather together uh, groups of people who are broadly similar in terms of generational or life stage. So you might have a gathering together of all the families in one particular gathering over the weekend. And again, that's really effective because you can put all of your children's ministry energy into that service. You can be efficient with your resources. You might then have another gathering, often at nighttime, where you gather together all the young people and you can play the music a little bit louder. You can do a little bit less liturgy. You can have a bit more energy. And it resonates with young people where they're at at their stage of life. And so that can be really effective. You might have an even older service uh, where you've got some of our senior saints who in their faith formation really appreciate hymns and liturgy and things a little bit quieter and with the organ playing and that is deeply formative for them. And so you gather those people together in a prayer book service. That is a common strategy. 
But at Soul Revival, we've intentionally chosen a different strategy while keeping the same gospel message that Jesus changes everything. And our gospel strategy can be summed up with this phrase, all age, all stage, community. This is what we're seeking to do across all of our gatherings. All age, all stage means that we are intentionally bringing together generations. Paul in Romans here, uh, he writes that just like a body has many parts and many members, in Christ, we are all different. And because of that difference, we bring different gifts, abilities, perspectives to the body of Christ. Eyes are different to elbows. Legs are different to lungs. Teenagers are different to middle-aged adults. Senior saints are different to young adults. Being an empty nester is different to being a child. Being a university student is different to being a mid-career worker. Being a parent with three under five is different than being 40 and single. What Paul is saying here is this difference is for the body's benefit. It's our intentional strategy as a church to look across all six of our gatherings, well, seven, actually, now we've got Miranda Congregational under our umbrella as well. We look across all seven gatherings and we say, who's missing? Which age? Which generation? Which life stage? Whose experience are we all the poorer for because they are not here with us at this gathering? We live in a hyper-connected world. And one of the benefits of being in a hyper-connected world is we can find people all over the globe that have the same niche interests as us. One of my little niche interests is I love late 90s and early 2000s Christian punk, ska and metal music. There are not many people in the gathering this morning who have that same niche interest. Uh, This was the sound of my high school. I still love it today. And uh, as I go around, there, um, there are people that I've found on Twitter, because I'm an old man, so I'm on the old man social media. Um, there are dozens of people who are about my age and stage of life from the US and the UK, even one guy in Germany, who also love late 90s to early 2000s Christian punk, ska and hardcore music. There are times when I feel more connected with them because of our shared niche interests than I might do with people here in this room. There are people in this room who can't tell their slick shoes from their showbread. And if you don't know what that means, that's my point. Uh, The world pushes us all the time towards helping us find people who are exactly like us. And the image of the body of Christ here reminds us that just because you gather all the Lego heads together in a tub, it's great for categorisation but it's really poor in trying to find a fully functional Lego body. But it's also not just about the collection of difference. It's not just about being all age, all stage. There are lots of all age, all stage communities that we might walk in and out of. Uh, A U2 concert, a Taylor Swift concert, is going to be all age, all stage. The crowd at a Matilda's game is all age, all stage. My train carriage on the way to the city on Monday morning is all age, all stage. If you're just counting the number of different generations and life stages in a particular space at a particular time, then we find lots of these spaces all over the place. And many churches would also fulfill that brief. 
But what we're interested in as a church is not just difference for difference's sake, but knitting together those differences in meaningful relationships. You see, at a U2 concert, I might be surrounded by people of many different generations. We're all gathered for the same purpose. We all love U2. Uh, We line up together. We grab drinks together. We sing the same songs together. We smile. We exchange pleasantries at each other in the merch line. But at the end, I have no real interest in these people. Uh, Quite frankly, I don't really care about them in any meaningful way because I have no intention of having a relationship with them outside of this particular experience. I don't know their name. I don't know who they are. I don't know who's in their family. I don't know what they find joy in, outside of you two, obviously. I don't know what struggles they're facing. Countless other things that would actually bind me together with them in long-term community, I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. Sadly, many churches end up being the same. Here I am as a Jesus follower, in a room full of Jesus followers. We all sing the same songs. We all pray the same prayers. We listen to the same sermons. We exchange pleasantries and smile at each other as we wait in the breakfast line or wait for coffee, and then we go home. And we don't really know And sadly, sometimes we don't really, frankly, care all that much about the other people we happen to be in the same room as. We don't know who they are. We don't know their names. We don't know who's in their family. We don't know who they find joy in, what struggles they're having in their lives, and the countless other things would actually bind me together with them in long-term community. Our strategy as a church is not just to get all the Lego heads and then all the Lego bodies, and then all the Lego legs, and then all the Lego hats and hair, and put them in the same container and shake it up, and there we go, we've got all age, all stage. No, it's not just about the mixture of difference. It's about putting the body together in meaningful and connected ways. Paul writes, each member belongs to all the others. The children in our church belong to the Gen X empty nesters. The senior saints in our church belong to the youth. The parents in our church belong to the singles. How do you move from just a large collection of body pieces into an actual functional body, a community? We have to spend time in relationship. And so that's why, you will notice, we prioritise meals. We prioritise spending a lot of time with each other. Meals particularly slow us down. It's very hard to stay at a surface level conversation and exchange pleasantries when you're at the same table with someone for half an hour rather than smiling and grabbing coffee and a milk hour or a biscuit at the same time for 10 minutes. We prioritise these things because we want to actually knit differences together. It's one of the reasons as a children's pastor that I want to advocate for every single one of us to be in kids' chill. I haven't talked about this much on Sunday morning for a while. My vision is for every single one of you to be in kids' chill. Why? Well, because I want you to be embedded in them in community. I've had a conversation with a number of people here uh, about, so if we're all age or stage, why aren't the kids here in this space? 
And the answer is, again, because it, just because you're three pews away from someone doesn't mean you're actually embedded in relational long-term community with them. And one of the things that we have found is the best way to build a body together with children is to slowly drip feed the adults through the children's program rather than bring the kids into this space. There is benefit of that, but we've realised that actually we want all-age, all-stage community. If you look around this room, how many people here know the name of someone they're not related to? Most of you? How many people here know the name of a child at this church that they're not related to? All I want as a children's pastor is the same thing. For you to be able to look around at the kids as they're playing handball, as they're grabbing breakfast, as they're making noise, playing the computer table at the back, and for you to go, oh, I know that kid. And for that kid to go, oh, I know Ken. He made paper swords with me. I know Liam. He played Play-Doh with me. And that's all the kids' chill is all about. Community is built by sitting with a child as they play Play-Doh, building train tracks alongside them, playing basketball with them, sitting with them, entering into their world. I sat for 15 minutes last week with Atticus, uh, Nicole's son, and just learned all about his fire, no, his grass-type Pokemon. And he walked through every single card. I'm knitting together a relationship with Atticus. And if you want to learn a lot more about grass-type Pokemon, and if that doesn't, the phrase rings no bells for you, go and talk to Atticus. Um, I want every member of our church, including our four, eight, ten-year-olds, each of them, to realise that they are a part of you. You belong to them. They belong to you. And, quite frankly, if the body of Christ is this biblical image, then we're going to be hobbling along, struggling to breathe, if every week one of your spiritual legs and spiritual lungs is out there playing Play-Doh and you don't know who they are. That's my pitch for uh, Kids Chill. If that's an idea that excites you, please come and talk to me or shoot me a message or call me during the week. If that thought terrifies you, but you're willing to walk through that terror to the other side and have a conversation with a seven-year-old, let me help you. I'll introduce you to them. That's my soapbox. I'll get off that now. All right. Um, we have our theology. Jesus changes everything. We have our strategy to be all-age, all-stage community. And then we have to know, okay, so what am I going to do today? What am I going to do next week? What am I going to do next month? What am I going to do next year? What is our actual practice? What do we do as a church? The Bible says really plainly that there's two types of people in this world. That there are those who are already in Christ. And there are those who are not yet in Christ. And so very simply, as a strategy, we have this. We want to grow disciples who are on mission together. We want to grow disciples. We want those who are already in Christ to know Christ more. To know Christ more, to love him more, and to obey him more and more each day. And so if you're a Christian here today, then what we want for you is to that to grow as a disciple of Jesus. And there will be many things that we do week in, week out, year in, year out, for the next eight years, we will be growing you as a disciple of Jesus. And then there are those that are not yet in Christ. It might be that you're in this room or you're hearing us online and you're still checking out Jesus. That's wonderful. We love that about Sorrow Bible Church. It can be a place where you can come and check out 
being a Christian? What does that actually mean? And so there are going to be things that we do week in, week out, which are particularly focused on helping those who are not yet Christians understand the gospel story and respond to that. We do believe that the Christian message is life. That the best thing that you can do is respond to Jesus for this life and for the life that we live all through new creation into eternity. And we want to be equipped for that as a church to go and take that message out to others. So there's those two aspects, discipleship, growing those who are already in Christ, and mission to those who are not yet in Christ. And of course, to do any of those things, we need resources. We need things. We need property. We need finances. We need people. One of the key resources, Paul says, is the body of Christ itself. Here's what he writes. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This vision of Christ is liberating, but it's also limiting. What do I mean by that? Uh, It's liberating because what it tells us is that everyone who is part of the body has a role to play. This goes for every generation, every life stage. You don't suddenly mature into the body of Christ. Many of our four-year-olds have faith in Christ. They express it in four-year-old ways, but they have faith in Christ. And so they have a role to play. Our eight-year-olds, our 15-year-olds, they have a role to play in the body of Christ. And also, the body of Christ is not something you retire from. You go, great, excellent, I've done my bit. I've finished being part of the body of Christ. Now I'm going to sit in my retirement. No, 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 no. The body of Christ is always active. Every piece has a part to play. So it's a liberating vision because we can all step into something that we can do to help us function well together as the body. But it's also limiting. And what I mean by that is that different bodies, different local churches, different gatherings will have different capacities. Some bodies are excellent at playing basketball. Others are great at dancing. Some bodies are great at welding. Some bodies are great at Excel spreadsheets. If you ask a primary school teacher to suddenly jump in at the Cronulla Sharks and play fullback, it's probably going to be outside of their expertise and their experiences. Likewise, you take the typical fullback and you put them in a primary school classroom and you ask them to explain the states of matter to an eight-year-old, it's probably going to be outside of their experiences. It's not going to be where they feel most comfortable. We can only do as a church the things that we are actually equipped to do. And so, yes, we want to grow our resources. We want to grow in people resources, factory place to worship resources, legal resources, uh, money resources. There's lots of things we want to grow in. But it's also okay just to recognise we can't do everything. There are lots of really wonderful ideas that we could do as a church that we will joyfully say, no, to. Because there's lots of great ideas that are beyond the capacities of one particular body of Christ here at Soul Revival. And it might be that really joyfully we can say, hey, there's a great church here that does that, and they do it excellently. They're the dancer, we're the basketball player. It's okay that we're different. So we're going to do things that, yes, are aligned with our theology and our strategy. Sometimes we won't take an up idea because it won't help our theology or it won't help our strategy. 
Sometimes it's because it's a great idea, but we'd need people to do it. One idea that came up on the planning day, I was sitting with all the kids, youth and young adult leaders, and um, they talked about how we don't really have a playgroup. And we said, yeah, we don't. Uh, we have in the past, probably about eight years ago, there was a playgroup. Uh, we don't at the moment. Why don't we? Is it theologically inaccurate to have a playgroup? No, fits with Jesus changes everything. Excellent. Does, is it a good strategy? Does it help us have all stage, all age community? We thought about it for a little bit, tossed around ideas, we go, yeah, it does, tick. Does it help mission to those who are not yet Christians? Yes. Does it help disciple those who are Christians? Absolutely. Why don't we do it? We just don't have the resources. We don't have people putting up their hand and saying, hey, I'm available every week to help us run a playgroup for mums in this church and outside. Okay, there you go. So at the moment, it's a great idea that we just don't have resources for. If resources become apparent, fantastic. If they don't, that's okay. There are great playgroups around. That's an example of how we try and make decisions. So, planning day was really great. Thank you for those who were able to be there. As we walked away with dozens and dozens of ideas, um, don't think if you didn't make planning day that that's it for 12 months. We don't want to hear from you. <laughs> uh, obviously, we're always taking on ideas and advice and things that you can always talk to us about, things that you'd like and like to see and go, hey, here's an idea. Have we ever thought about this as a church? And we can talk through that. That's wonderful. As a church, you may have heard us talk about we want to double up in eight years' time. In the first 10 years of our life, we went from 30 people to 500 people as a church. And we thought, wow, God is doing something amazing here. We don't know what God will do with Soul Revival in the next eight, nine years, but it might be that he continues that and we might have a 1,000 people in Soul Revival in the next 10 years. If God chooses to do that, then there are things that we're going to do. Stick to our why, know our how, and then do things. Mission, uh, discipleship, and we'll need resources to do it. We want to, uh, under God, seek by his grace to grow the kingdom in this particular place at Soul Revival across all seven of our gatherings. How are we going to do this? By growing as a body. By growing disciples who are on mission together in an all-age, all-stage community. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. One way.